0: It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi everyone and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Mentzel, a.k.a. Meners, and joining me today is News Corp's finest... Firstly, I have Chief Cricket Writer for The Australian, a man who prefers rock music and test match cricket over the bubblegum Big Bash League. I think if Peter Lawler were a cricketer, he would have the grace and flamboyancy of Brian Lara at the crease and perhaps a touch of his social skills. Welcome to the (laughs) show, Pete. How are you?
1: Does that mean I pull chicks?
0: Well just oh, staying out late and getting into trouble. Just dig me. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> 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 yes, thanks, thanks for having me on, man. It's that was a compliment. intro. Cool. <laughs> and the, the other guest today is Chief Cricket Writer for the Daily Telegraph, a man who loves the North Sydney Bears above anything else, his summer hit a high point when someone started a Twitter parody account about him saying how much he loves Steve Smith. <laughs> if he were a cricketer, he might well be the steely Steve Waugh who just kept punching out the runs in all conditions. Welcome back to the show, Ben Horn. How are you? Good, thanks, Manus.
2: Yeah, a bit more of a, you know, downbeat comparison as opposed to Pete's one, but I'm
1: happy with Steve Waugh. That's very kind. Well, Steve Waugh, Brian Lara. That's not too bad. There's not a big <laughs> difference. Who'd you rather be in a bar? Probably Brian uh, Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. The Prince and, and
2: he Trinity made a day. lot of runs
1: too.
0: All right, so we've got a massive show today. We're going to look back at Australia's stunning world record win. We've got a read and react. Uh, Sam Landsberger from the Herald Sun in Melbourne spoke to James Sutherland. We're going to go through that news. I'm going to ask Pete Lawler why he doesn't like the Big Bash. We've also got all the cricket headlines and a preview of the South African tour, which both of you are heading off next week. Is that right? Absolutely.
2: I'm going on Monday. Got my bags packed already. And uh, and water,
1: most importantly. Have you got all your water stored up? <laughs> Need to take a camel with us. I'm going to sustain myself on pinotage. Red wine. <laughs> That'll get me through. Exactly.
0: Yeah. I think you'll be down to, what, one shower a, w- a week while you're in South Africa? That's uh, standard for the English journalists, but for the Australians, <laughs> that might be a bit of a change.
2: Yeah. Um... Just as long as we don't have to share with anyone. That's, that's what I'm hoping I'm happy with, one a week.
1: Uh, they've released a song. It's two and a half minutes long. You put it on and that's how long your shower should be. And it contains the extraordinary lyric, If it's brown, flush it down. If it's yellow, let it mellow. Uh, that's apparently how Cape Town's coping with the uh, water shortage. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've heard that before. Uh, <laughs> all right, so let's let's get back into some cricket. Uh, I'm actually glad I'm not going to South Africa now. I was pretty gutted that I wasn't being sent over after a personal best season, but now with all these water restrictions, I'm sort of coming to terms with it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah. let's let's look back at the Australia's stunning world record win in the T20 match last Friday. They chased the highest ever T20 score to win a game. It was unbelievable stuff on, on Eden Park, although it's a postage stamp of the ground. It really signals a sort of turnaround for this T20 side that they have the self-belief to motor down that huge score against New Zealand. Yeah,
1: yeah. what really stands out for me with this T20 series is the way Warner's captained them. Uh, they sat there, uh, they were getting sixes hit over their head so often. I think, you know, they were, would have been getting stiff necks watching them, but they didn't drop their heads. They just kept smiling. And, and all of them who've been interviewed since say, we just had this attitude that whatever they get, we can get more. They're batting without fear. It's quite interesting to watch, isn't it? Uh, David Warner captaining an Australian cricket team. He, he, I, I think he sort of defined him, his captaincy approach as opposed to Smith's, and, and creates an interesting scenario for the future, doesn't it? Not with the Test team, but with the T20 team.
2: Yeah. Well, Steve Smith hasn't played a T20 for Australia since the last World Cup, which was in 2016. So he's missed, I think, close to 20 T20 internationals. So. Unless that can turn around, I mean, I, I can't see why they shouldn't um, let Dave Warner captain the T20 side. They've seen that it's a specialist uh, format. They've got they're looking at a specialist coach in Ricky Ponning. They've now got a specialist selector in Mark Waugh who watches the Big Bash. as a full time job, um, sort of. I, I think, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of um, there's a lot of common sense in it. I mean, a lot of people are saying there's no room for Steve Smith in the T20 team. I, I don't think that's necessarily the case but he's got to play a lot of t20 cricket he, you know in the lead up to that world cup he'd have to be a you know a regular part of the team because this series has shown that to succeed in 2020 cricket you have to play a lot of
1: it. Australia are pretty keen to sort of have a team with a, its own identity so that they can focus on it can't they but I I know that they've also work out the FTP or are trying to work out the FTP so that they will get that run in mm. where the T20 will be prioritised. This, this model, it's, it's interesting. It's like that one that – what was the first cup? Was that 2007 or eight? I can't remember. Uh, 2007, I reckon. Mm, yeah. um, India stumbled on this model because India didn't take t- T20 seriously in, in 2007. None of their senior players went. They sent over a young bloke called MS Dhoni, the wicketkeeper, mm. as captain, and they won, and the, and the world changed in an instant, didn't it? But uh, interesting you say that about Smith. I mean, God, he's worth $2 million to play in the mm. IPL. He must be a good T20 player if he's worth that money. I don't think yeah. it's
0: about his ability, Smith. I think it's about his capacity to lead Australia in all three formats. And if he's going to keep resting in these T20 games, then you sort of can't just parachute in to captain the side for a World Cup It doesn't seem fair almost. It's like David Warner should be given some time to mould a side leading up to the World Cup. And if Smith can fit in as a player, that works. I mean, it works for Joe Root in the white ball game for England. It could work for Australia in T20 cricket. I think, I mean, Smith would come in. Maybe Stark would come in, maybe Mitch Marsh. But there's not many of the test side who you would no. lock into this T20 side.
2: The, the, one interesting thing for mine is, you know, Ricky Ponting is being, um, you know, basically headhunted for this head coaching position. Once Darren Lehman's gone, they'll they'll split the coaching roles and Ricky Ponting will coach the T20 side. And, and he,
0: Hanger will coach the test side.
2: And, and, he, and um, Ponting is on record saying that he doesn't think that Steve Smith can continue to captain all three forms long into the future it's just too much of a of a workload so relieving steve smith of the t20 captaincy isn't as you said isn't a knock on him At but it he may wants to it give may up the IPL. preserve him as a
0: give up two test player bucks to Lander. get a seven weeks off but you yeah. know
1: what's not resolved i mean if you say that it's too much to captain three forms it's also a lot to play three forms isn't it so mm-hmm. what's not resolved there is what gives for warner because Warner's the guy who's, who's carrying the load, mm. isn't he? And, and played through well, this series. And looked exhausted mm. early on and came good the other night. And, mm. and Smith said in the ODIs he didn't realise how tired he was mm. until he stopped. We can only assume that Warner was in a similar position. Yeah. If perhaps he didn't have as much strain on him because he's not the captain.
2: Absolutely. I mean, the players need rest. But I think the difference is that there's a huge difference in being the captain of the side. I mean, Steve Smith, if he wasn't the captain of the T20 team, could, could have rest during... T20 cricket and still get himself right for the World Cup and be a key member of the side but if you're the captain you've kind of got to be there Um, but yeah they have to find ways to give Warner a rest in in other ways I suppose but you look at Joe Root I think is a perfect example he's the captain of the test side you know he was really tired by the end of that came into the one day series still played the one day series but didn't have that responsibility hanging over him and, and looked like he really relished it so you know, Steve Smith wants to keep captaining all three forms, but if 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 he find, if you know the decision's made, he may find it it actually helps him.
0: I think as well, Warner and Smith are different characters. I think Smith takes on board a lot of the the stress and the pressure. I think David Warner is naturally able to switch off a bit more on his downtime, which sort of eases the burden. I mean, it's well known that Smith doesn't sleep well. It's mm, not going to be good much point, good for yeah. you, is it? Yeah, it's a good point. Mm. Um, So, look, it could be a huge turnaround for the Aussie T20 side. They could be number one in the world if they win the final against New Zealand this week, which would just signify, I guess, the vagaries of the rankings, but also we've won six in a row if we win the final.
2: Yeah, I mean, it it is a format that anyone on their day Mm. can win. I mean, that's just a fact, but... Obviously, there's there's a strategy to playing this uh, game to give yourself the best chance of winning, and Australia just have had no idea what that is for a few years. But I think you know the key is pick, picking guys who play a lot of T20 cricket and picking guys who are in form. I mean, Darcy Short has been excellent in these matches, but if it comes to the World Cup in a couple of years' time and he's not in form, you go with the guy who is. I think more than any other format, you've got to reward form at that time. I think that that's absolutely crucial.
0: All right, so let's move on from the T20 series to read and react. A great article from our colleague, in inverted commas, Sam Landsberger at the Herald Sun in Melbourne. He spoke to James Sutherland last week, and James revealed a few things about what they're thinking about next week. And having Pete and Ben here, I thought it was a perfect time to go through some of this news. Well, James has revealed what I think a lot of people thought was going to happen, that they are looking at a full 14 game per club, big bash season, with each team playing home and away against every every team. So that's on the drawing board. Do you guys think that's a good idea or a bad idea?
1: Bad idea on the face of it. I'd need to know more about it. But um, I, it's too many games already. I agree.
2: I think it's a really bad idea. I think... Um you sort of, I don't know what date it is, but it's sometime between Australia Day and about the 3rd of February. I think you feel that cricket just sort mm-hmm. of drops off. It's just too much. And the perfect indication that it's too much is Channel 10 showed the Big Bash final, the pinnacle of the entire competition, in the daytime because they preferred to show their celebrity show in prime time. So if they're going to run this thing through February. Whoever wins the rights for the broadcasting, like how are they going to juggle their flagship shows? Like the the players don't want it, and the broadcasters don't want it. How, how's it going to work?
1: I did. There is one element of it that I have some two elements of it. I have some sympathy for. I mean, Sutherland and Cricket Australia only think about one thing, and that's how only measure themselves against one thing, and that's the AFL. You yeah. know, they're just totally obsessed. They live in Melbourne every day. They read the Herald Sun, and they, you know they feel like they're losing the weeing contest that is the sports administration in this country I like the idea if they take the finals into the if they go into the first two weeks of February but finals only so you play the finals on the week the Friday night the Saturday night the Sunday night or that sort of scenario Mm. and you split it up and you have a top four final system that works for me it also takes a bit of February like You know, stakes a bit of February back, which they've conceded in previous years. I mean, you only have to look at the timing of that interview. I mean, maybe I'm old and cynical, but that that dropped just as the AFL-X was about to start. And it's the AFL-X and the AFL-W. We're going to run out of letters in the (laughs) alphabet one day for all these little formats. That really concern Cricket Mm. Australia by being there in February. God, you reckon I don't like BBL? Ask me about AFL-X. God, that's abysmal. Yeah, I mean, why bother taking on AFL-X? I
2: mean, it's one of the worst things I've ever seen on TV. But <laughs> I, I think um, the, with, the, I um, with the big bash, yeah. I mean, uh, what Cricket Australia should be looking at is – other like. there's no reason to just look at the AFL. What about the NFL in America, which is probably the biggest sports league in the world mm. – it only has about 14 or 15 matches like it's a less is more yeah. approach and that's how the big bash works like I, I just think it just goes for way too long once you start getting into February The beauty of it is that it's just it's just there it's in that spot and then you have the finals and it's done like I mean yeah I, I don't mind the idea of the finals being on the weekend but waiting a week between matches I mean people it, it just loses its momentum mm, I think. yeah when you're
1: getting it every night it's not special is it mm. yeah mm. cricket.
0: I don't know. I think I kind of disagree. But, like, what about when I was growing up? You would have the Adelaide test on Australia Day weekend, and then they would play the fifth test, sort of first week or two of February in Perth. And it felt like the cricket season went on longer, and people were prepared to stick in there and watch the cricket season through February while it was still good weather. And then, you know, March, April, the footy kicks in. So I think there is some merit to Cricket Australia trying to reclaim February. As a cricket month, that you know, this is time to don't switch over to the AFLX or the AFLW. Stick with cricket through February. So I think that has some merit. He said though another thing he said, which I think is a great idea. They want to move the women's big bash to sort of October, November, early December, yep. and give that its own airspace. And I know as a cricket fan, I would like to watch more of the women's big bash league. But you know, you try and fit that in with the men's big bash, the Test matches your wife and kids, it's, it's something that misses out and it's usually the women's big bash. So if it had its own window, you could really sort of sink your teeth into it. Well, I th- Personally, I
2: think that if there's dead air that cricket should be trying to reclaim, it's like October, November. I mean, I, you know, the footy finishes and it's over. In February, you can't stop the, the tidal wave of people being geared up for the footy season. I mean, why fight that? I mean, mm. the, cricket, I don't think, is competing against the AFL. And the NRL. Like I just think it should it should nail the time of year that it has and just do it do it well. And I think they've made a couple of good moves. I like the fact that we're going to see test matches into January next year and the one day stuff coming beforehand in November, December. Yeah. I, I think that's a good approach. So they're doing things right. I just don't think they need to worry about February like <laughs>
1: Why aren't we playing test cricket in January every year? Mm. It's just nonsense. I mean, you complain that, you know, this talk that test cricket's dying and we've got to do things to bring the crowds back and things like that. Get the crowds back by putting the bloody cricket on during the holidays. Mm. Test cricket's done before anybody's had a chance to take a breath and realise that it's summer holidays. The only tests that people really get to go to are Melbourne and Sydney, aren't they? Up until then, the kids are still at school, everyone's still at work. It's wide open. I mean, you don't need to play day-night cricket to Mm. get people back to the cricket
0: put it on when they've got a holiday and they can come yeah well as usual money talks next year India are coming they said they're coming later which pushes Cricket Australia's schedule back and the fans will win we might see what two tests against Sri Lanka in January they're looking at Australia Day weekend in Adelaide as a possibility for Mm. at least Australia Day weekend somewhere uh, holding a test match so there's that's yes. going to be interesting how they balance the big bash with that test match,
2: particularly if they're day night tests, mm. which I yeah. think is a consideration.
1: I don't think they'll play uh, that um, Australia day match in Adelaide. I, don't, I, I think they'll think, play I think Adla- in Adla- Adelaide. Adelaide were offered the option, to my understanding, of you get India like mm. earlier, or you get a day night later against a second ranked team, mm. um, and yeah, they don't want that. I mean, I'm pretty know. sure, and it's a big big event, isn't it? The day night test in Adelaide. It's a great event. Yeah. The smart money, I think, would be on Adelaide
2: for the first test of the summer against India, second test in in Perth, then Melbourne-Sydney, and then mm-hmm. the, the two tests against Sri Lanka would be in Brisbane and Canberra.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm hearing. I, uh, the only thing I was hearing, is, uh, it's down between Adelaide and Perth for the first test of the summer. Mm-hmm. You know, where, where do they play it?
0: I have one concern, sort of aside from this, is the way Australia's treating its domestic 50-over comp. So, you know, we're talking about all these you know, expanding this and expanding that. Well, the domestic competitions are going to suffer. The Sheffield Shields are going to be further squashed into a tight window. I don't know how they're going to do that. Started earlier. And the 50-over comp, that's sort of a warm-up to the season. I don't know what if they're going to scrap that all together or further make it smaller, which which I just don't know if that's going to adversely affect the way we play 50-over cricket if our domestic players just aren't playing.
2: It's a tough one. I mean, there is... Yeah, there, there is a point where there's not much more cricket Australia can do. I mean, there's just so much cricket on. Yeah. How do you fit it in? So it's hard to criticise them for how they handle the the shield and, and the 50 over comp. I like the way they do the 50 over comp. Me too. I, I think a couple of weeks, it's just people can focus on it. It, it. You know, the problem is that it's nowhere near when they play 50 over cricket. But what are you going to do? I mean, I think the Big Bash is still works as a decent kind of uh, build up for the 50 over stuff so I wouldn't change that in fact I'd I'd probably go back to trying to have it more in the one city not being biased but um, when it
0: was in Sydney it was pretty good for you
2: yeah well I just think it, it helps the whole continuity of the competition
0: I just think if they could split it up like the shield so the first half of the one day comp and the first half of the shield at the beginning and then the second half the one day comp and the shield at the end at least if you're a player that gets injured say so you're not going to miss the whole 50 over comp and therefore not, not play that form of the game. Mm, possible, yeah. Mm. All right. Now, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to be back to find out why Pete doesn't like the big bash. <laughs> it's a high ball. Man deep on
1: the right.
2: it throws it back 30 meters and the catch is taken that is an absolute special Now, how we i think we have seen the greatest outfield catch ever
0: taken when did the big bash start welcome back uh, to cricket unfiltered the news corp cricket podcast i'm here with pete and ben so pete did you ever get to watch the big bash
1: i tried Yeah, I turned it on quite often and uh, then found myself uh, doing something else, cleaning the windows or, you know. (laughs) Listening to some rock music. Yeah, something like that, yeah.
0: So what is it? Is it T20 cricket or the Big Bash? What is it you don't like? Yeah,
1: look, fundamentally, I'm a meat and potatoes guy. I really don't like sugar. I reckon it's sort of candy. It's a candy floss contest. It, does, it can be an interesting game. You can get a good chase. That's, that's why that T20 International the other night was a good game because it was an interesting chase. Mm. But uh, it, it lacks substance. The fact that you get it every night for a month it's like it becomes like wallpaper, and it doesn't seem to have any uh, context or meaning. Um, and I still can't work out who plays for what team or whatever. But look, there have been seasons where I've enjoyed it, and I particularly like it, it had that uh, novelty factor when it first started. I enjoyed it then. It got that uh, second wind when cha- Channel Ten took over, and we really enjoyed the job that they did with it. That's kind of wearing off on me now. I'm not saying that I don't enjoy the job, but, you know, I used to just watch it to listen to Punter um, and Flem and Junior and those guys mm. talking about cricket. That was, that was enough for me. This year, I just couldn't engage with a match. I'm, you know, I've done my best. And, hey, look, and I've got nothing against it. I, I'm not saying people shouldn't do it. I think it's done a great job getting crowds in and getting people watching cricket and attracting a certain demographic. The players love it. You know, they love playing it. It's, it's, I can see as a player, it's a really exciting format of the game. It's a great break from that sort of Russian novel that is bloody Sheffield Shield cricket. You know, where you're trudging around the country and uh, mm. one mistake, you know, you go, you travel all the way to Perth and you miss out in the first innings and you don't get, you don't get to do anything else for the rest of the match. But yeah, I don't know. just doesn't
0: work with it's me, totally mate. You know, it's like high waisted trousers. I never liked them. You know. Well, it reminds I me of like <laughs> A football season, almost the big bash that, that, that the teams and the the matches sort of they they sort of blend together a bit like a football season, and you sort of have to sort of look beyond the minutia for the sort of overarching plot lines and the the stories between the teams and the history. I, I think um,
2: Pete is right to a certain extent, and that's but that's why I think that it's so yeah. it's why it's so important that they don't lengthen the season. I mean, I think that the less is more approach is the perfect way to avoid what you're talking about. I actually found this year that the, you know, just the you could see when Adelaide won that competition, particularly in the semi-final which was really close that they won, how much it means to the players and I think that 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 will that helps people understand that this actually matters. And I think more than, you know, increasingly I've got the feeling that the Big Bash, it does matter who wins. And so I think it's it's growing to that level. I think when it first started, it's like, oh, the pink team's playing the green team. And, you know, it's just all good fun. But I think it is mm. getting more meaningful now. But to maintain that, I think they need to keep the season um, brief. That That's my opinion, but... Well,
0: two two, two responses to that about the um, matters who wins or loses. The commentators often say that when the Big Bash started, the crowds would cheer both sides. But now they've really noticed that the the home crowds are much more parochial. They Mm -hmm. don't cheer the opposition as much. So I think we're seeing people really start to adopt their teams and feel attached to them more than we've seen before in the past, like the Sixers and the crowd there really gets behind their team now. And it's, you know, in Adelaide and Perth, whereas before it was just, mm. as you say, just cheer mm. on some good cricket. Let's well, see. Yeah, some well, and
1: I never grew up with a team. So, you know, never yeah. adopted. I've always just covered the game. So, yeah, yeah I, I miss that tribalism. It doesn't get me in. But the yeah.
0: players are really against expanding the comp. That they is are. the thing. Yeah. You know, you speak to the players. They all are worried about what they'll do to the comp if they lengthen it too much.
2: The and, um, the, the other thing I think about this season in particular, and I'm probably not the best person to comment, man, is you, you would have watched much more of it than me. But I just didn't think the standard was as good this year. Like in previous years, there's been so many of these cliffhanger matches and Mm. amazing things happening, you know, and admittedly, I don't watch every match, but um, I just thought it lacked that. Edge this year, I thought perhaps the standard was a little mm. bit well, down. The,
1: the feeling was pretty average, wasn't mm. it all year? And the umpiring, mm. which, is, which is probably reflection. another warning yeah. against.
2: And to yeah. Cricket Australia's credit, they they haven't rushed into this at all. But I think it's a warning against getting more teams in. I don't I don't think we've got enough players.
1: The other really the other interesting factor here, just before we move on, um, is that the broadcasters, when I talk to them, don't don't see that uh, more is more. Hmm. But they don't see any added value in having it. Yeah, But Ben and I discuss this quite often. I mean, it's really quite hard to get your head around broadcast rights deals. But the only thing I can imagine that might pay off in having extra matches is if you keep them all in January. And it brings in Foxtel or Fox Sports, whatever they want to call themselves now. Um, So somehow you have extra stuff to pay to somebody else who's who's going to then – because it's only by 10 and Fox – getting together that ca will get the sort of money that they want i'd assume from bbl this Mm. year because it's going to be pretty hard for 10 to turn around and say oh let's let's triple what you paid we paid you last time because i I don't imagine that they're riding those sorts of that that turns a profit into a loss pretty quickly Mm. i'd suggest yeah that's a good point i mean if they are able to
2: get more games in without pushing it into february then i don't have an issue with that and and that certainly would help the broadcast deal i think the, the broadcasters, the reason why the Big Bash, well, one of the reasons why the Big Bash is so attractive is because it is the ultimate build-up to their big marquee shows. I mean, that's what, you know, Seven, when they have the tennis, they flog um, My Kitchen Rules. The Big Bash flogs the Celebrity Jungle Show, and um, that's the whole That's the whole <laughs> point. Do
0: you really not know the name?
2: Uh, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. i
0: okay, was just checking
2: it, but they want it to build up to that, not get in the way and if it goes into February, it'll be getting in the way. That's the start of ratings period. These shows don't run one night a week they're on like four nights a week apparently i don't I don't watch much t v but um I'm a cricket fan, get me out of here, yeah. So yeah, I think if they're going to expand, fair enough, but um, don't don't lengthen the season. Okay, an
0: interesting figure that came out of Cricket Australia that the highest rating session of the international season was the third session from day two of the Adelaide Day Night Ashes Test with a massive, a massive, two point one million national viewers watching that session. What That's day was that? What day two of the Adelaide Test? <laughs> yeah, so. was it
2: what day of the week? Sorry. I think it started on a Saturday, didn't it? So it would have been Sunday, wouldn't it? Sunday, Sunday night. Yeah, yeah, what was yeah. going on?
0: So uh, two point that's like almost 10% of the Australian population was watching the cricket. So should we have more day night tests? <laughs> uh, Pete hates the day night tests. Uh,
1: look, I reckon Adelaide thing's a fantastic spectacle, but yeah. More day night tests. I'm not so sure. I'm not sure the broadcasters want it, mate. Yeah. Um, You know, I think I I like the Brisbane one, but I wouldn't go any
2: more than Adelaide and Brisbane. Mm. Why do you you don't need it in Perth? You don't need it in Sydney? You don't need it in Melbourne?
0: Well, Perth's got the time difference for the eastern states with the peak hour, peak time. I
2: thought the day night test livened the, the Gabba test up actually. Adelaide
1: could probably survive just as a day test. People reckon that the day-night test um, brings, it is better for the broadcasters, and, and it is on some but on some levels, but on other levels they tell me that it's not because day tests, you're actually writing your ads into a part of your programming where you're not normally getting those ads. So, you know, you get all that stuff that comes with Test Cricket. You move it into the evening, you're writing those ads into that space where you're normally getting mm. that sort of advertising anyway. Mm. So... It was already working that part of the night, and they already, you know, from a revenue point of view, up to a point. But I just don't like working at night. (laughs) (laughs) It's a completely selfish point of view. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I want to finish work and go out to dinner. I think
2: think, think the mix works. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Now let's get to the week of cricket headlines brought to you by the Daily Telegraph and the Australian because Pete's here. All right. The Thunder coach, Paddy Upton, has been sacked. After a high performance review, the Sydney Thunder have been struggling for a couple of years. So no surprises there. I guess not. No. <laughs> I mean, they could have got Shane Warne who's been signed to mentor the Royals. Yeah. It would have been a good one. I would have
2: thought um, maybe the bigger issue for the Thund- for the Sydney Thunder and the Sixers is, is I don't know, working out a way to get on top of the roster. but um, Win a game. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how much you could really blame the coach, but um, yeah, I suppose that's
0: that's how it works. Yep, results speak. All right, I didn't even know he was the coach <laughs> of the Thunder. <laughs> Shield, young gun, Will Puckowski has made his maiden century. He smashed 188 for Victoria on a flat deck at the MCG. Pete telling me, but I, I think this is a great story because yeah. Will. Uh, I don't know if you've been following listeners, but he's been scalded in the head a couple of times. He's had to take big breaks from cricket to get over these concussion problems. So he must have such a mental struggle, you know, sort of getting back to the crease and fight, you know, just fighting those demons. Um, so great story for him that he's made his maiden test century, uh, maiden first class century, and someone to watch for higher honours. Yeah, he made a two hundred recently too in the futures league, didn't he? So
1: yeah, it, he's he's a gun, that kid. Keep watching him. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and left arm quick for South Australia, Nick Winter. He's played two matches, 15 wickets already. He took two for in the last game. He is really someone to watch, Nick Winter, 15 wickets after two games. And another player who I'm a big fan of is back in form. And my tip for South Africa, Matt Renshaw made 170 for Queensland. He just he Where did, was that at?
1: Where were they playing? Was that at the MCG? Yeah, I think it was. Oh, right. Yeah.
0: Um, so Renshaw made a 170 on a flat deck at the MCG. included four sixes. Yeah. I think if Bancroft struggles after two tests in South Africa, Renshaw will be on a plane. Good to see him coming good again.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, it was harsh um,
2: in, in on a certain level, what happened to him? Um, I mean, I kind of I don't think he could resist the form that Bancroft was in, but it was still a hard call on Renshaw. Your point about him coming to South Africa, I mean, that would be unprecedented if they just flew him over. I mean, I think the only way he could get added to the squad if there's an injury somewhere else. I mean, someone could get injured and they could get him, um, you know, they could, even if it was a bowler, they could say, oh, well, we think we're okay bowling, we'll get Matt Renshaw there. But without an injury, I can't think how they could get him over there because why wouldn't they have taken him in the first place?
0: I think they've shown their hand recently that these squads are more malleable. I mean, Pat Cummins comes into the squad in India last year Mm. from a shield match in Australia. From an injury though. But from an injury, but goes straight into the squad and jumps ahead of Jackson Bird into the side. So they don't really have a defined pecking order. I can see both sides of it. If they take an opener to South Africa in the original touring party, it could make Bancroft feel that his days are numbered. But the, and on the other hand, they need Matt Renshaw to play some shield cricket because you know, he didn't score many runs before the break. He's been all summer playing club cricket and throwing balls for the Brisbane Heat. So they have to give him a chance to play first-class cricket. I don't know if, like, if Bancroft struggles, do you really want Kawaja opening, Smith at three, Hanscom at four, Shawmarsh Marsh at five, Mitch Marsh at six? I, I just don't think it's strong enough.
2: Well, I agree. I think they should have taken an extra opener in the first place, but they haven't, um, and they've said that the reason they haven't is because they want to back Bancroft in, so I can not they, they can't go back on that now and sort of suddenly go, oh, okay, well, we're going to send Matt Renshaw. I mean, they personally, I would have sent Joe Burns over, but I don't know. I think his injury is pretty bad, so he wasn't in the picture. Perhaps they could have picked Renshaw in the first place, but I don't think they can do it now. I mean, it would be more unfair on Bancroft than if they'd just been up front and <laughs> picked him in the first place.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's difficult to see them doing it, but you're right, you're right they are flexible now, but I mean, one of the openers would have to break a leg, frankly. Yeah, still still to get him into the squad, I can't see how it happens without injury. I can't
2: remember a situation where they've gone, we'll send this other guy over there. I mean, in recent times, uh, I, yeah, yeah. but for an injury, Stoyness went over because Mitch Marsh got injured, uh, Cummins went because Stark got injured in Bangladesh this year. Hazelwood got injured and they sent Steve O'Keefe, which shows that it could be anyone in the squad that gets injured and they could get Renshaw over, but they need an excuse. You can't just fly a guy in because you think someone's out of form.
0: Yeah, I hope Bancroft comes good. That's, I mean, he he was the funniest interview all summer, the headbutt gate over Johnny Bairstow. Uh, he's a great character. So I hope Bancroft comes good, but I think Renshaw, pencil him in if he doesn't. More headlines. Elise Perry has surged to be the number one ODI batter in the world. Great from Elise Perry. Um, Started off as a bowler, as everyone knows, and a bit like Steve Smith, turned that around pretty quickly. The other headline for the week is perhaps the most expensive wedding in cricket history. So Aaron Finch and Glenn – well, Aaron Finch is getting married. Right. Therefore, Aaron Finch and Glenn Maxwell have to miss the beginning of the IPL because there was a stuff-up with dates. So – I guess, I know they get paid...
2: Glenn Maxwell's for, the MC, by the way, at the wedding. MC? Yeah, yeah so they That were, could be entertaining. Finch was <laughs> yeah. told,
0: like, the IPL was going to start on the 15th or 16th of April. They He planned his wedding for early April. They brought the IPL forward a week, which means that they're both going to miss their first games of the IPL. Now, they get paid per game, so mm. Maxie and Finch <laughs> are pretty much giving up a couple of hundred grand each. It is actually an extraordinary
2: story. I mean... Talking about selection, you're saying about Renshaw, maybe should come to South Africa. Should Glenn Maxwell be promoted from MC to best man for this
0: kind of commitment? <laughs> I mean, MC seems a bit low. Yeah, it must be a family member. You think it'd be best man? I mean, he, what what sort of gift do you get someone in that situation?
1: I remember they uh, <laughs> was it, was it um, Lee Matthews was uh, I, th- I had to had to coach on the day his daughter was getting married, and so I said. Oh, it's a bit rough, and he said it was in the interview. He said, "Oh, it's a second marriage; doesn't matter." <laughs> <laughs> I think this is Finch's first. is first, is it? Yeah. I mean, it's a couldn't tricky. He have, couldn't he have done it on Skype?
2: Well, I mean. You'd think you'd just I'd be do. well for a guy like Finch, who's made a lot of money out of the IPL and been there a lot of times. I guess you'd think maybe leave April alone, but well, they um, get more than a week's he,
0: gap. Yeah, but he yeah. had been
2: uh, he had been given it a fairly stern uh, guarantee that it, he wasn't going to be required till this date. And, as it is hard to find a date, isn't it? I mean, it's not just him, he probably wants other cricketers to come to his wedding, so April's about the only month that any of them have off. I think Brad
0: Hodge is one who's Finch's coach in the IPL who's going to miss the wedding, obviously because he'll have commitments in the IPL. <laughs> All <laughs> that's right a, that's a good one. I had no yeah. idea that was
1: going on you, yeah.
2: well, what about the the other part of it is that the Maxwells team is playing what? Finch in the first round, So imagine the conversation between Finch and the coach, Brad Hodge. Brad, I'm sorry, I can't make the first game. I'm getting married. The good news is, though, I've taken Maxie away from the other team. So that's <laughs> that's the that's the square up. So they're both missing a player for the first round match.
0: A huge financial <laughs> loss though, for those two. <laughs> All right, now we're going to take our final break for the podcast and then we're going to be back to preview the upcoming South Africa Tour, a test series I'm so excited about. And we'll be back in a minute to preview that series. <laughs>
1: Here, Harris comes in more called forward. He's bold. It's all over. Australia have won the game. What a finish! Two wickets in three balls. They are delirious with delight. They are jumping and hugging. And carrying on out there, it's like a team that's won an
0: FA Cup final. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered. That was the great Jim Maxwell commentating Australia's famous victory in the last tour of South Africa. I'm here with Pete and Ben. Now, I was, I think it was like three in the morning Aussie time. Australia were pushing hard for this victory. And Ryan Harris on one leg took those two wickets. I remember jumping around my living room almost Waking up my wife and kids. But Pete, you were there, weren't you? Yeah,
1: I was. I was. It was an incredible effort. I mean, you know, there's a book in what Ryan Harris went through that day. He was lying on bed. He couldn't get that leg up and out of bed in the morning. They thought, no chance to play. They did everything they do to get him up and sort of you might get a few overs out of him and I said nine at the most and he was shot absolutely shot it could have been a rotten day frankly one of the interesting things about how good that finish was and how exciting it was and how you were jumping around the lounge room in your pyjamas is that it was a really dull day's cricket to some level I mean South Africa had just blocked and blocked and blocked and Rhino was standing there I think with a few overs ago thinking please, please don't throw the ball to me. I'm cooked. I can't do it. I mean, basically, you know, he's, his leg was a mess. But when Pup asked, he said, yeah, yeah, I'm all right to do it. And it was a sensational mm. bit of bowling. It was fun. One of the great tests, that one. What pup a great... Got roughed up so much by Mornay mm. Morkle. Do you remember that? I think... Broke a mm. couple of ribs. couple of ribs, mm. finger even, maybe. He got mm. hit all over the place, but didn't go out. It was one of the best innings I've ever seen Pup mm. play. One I'm, of the bravest. I mean, mm. I
0: would argue that, the australia south africa test series since readmission going right back to the mid 90s have been consistently the best test cricket available to watch especially when australia is concerned that they just seem to be these seesawing battles you know whether it's in australia or in south africa you never know who's going to win there's no formula you know south africa have beaten us 3 times here in a row we haven't lost a series since they were readmitted to Test Cricket, it, it really is the showpiece Test Match series for Australia.
1: Oh, well, I've, I've done three series there, 2009, 2011, 2014, and they were three of the best cricket series I've ever seen. Mm. 2009 was just stunning. With that um, was Mitch Johnson and...
0: Yeah, Phil Hughes. Hughes. Well,
1: Philip Hughes made his debut. I, assumed, I actually remember him... Getting out, getting out fourth ball more than I do the double hundred. So mm. I do remember that six that he hit. Was it? That was at Durban, wasn't it? To bring up the hundred. Jono, out of control, so good. Pup, pup, and, um, Ricky Ponting's innings in that first test match was sensational Marcus to watch. Marcus North. Marcus North I'm made 100, 100 on debut. That's just, I mean that's the first test in 2009. Then you move to the, the series that we covered together, Ben, and you can run us mm. through some of the highlights of that. In 2011.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. people don't look too favourably on, um, <laughs> yeah. on two test series, do they? But I- this was the best two test series in the history of cricket, and yeah. you couldn't have got two tests that were were further apart. I mean, the first match was over in two and a half days. Australia bowled out for 47.
0: That bit's going out of the show. And that was one of the more extraordinary days of
2: cricket you would ever see. I mean, South Africa themselves were bowled out for 100, I think. So, I mean, it was 47 was... Average average batting, but mm. it was like unbelievable conditions for the bowlers. Philander and Shane Watson both took five wickets each and broke each other's record for the fastest five-wicket haul from first wicket to last. Well, I think Watson set it and then Philander broke it um, a, a couple of hours later. And then the, the second test... Was one of the great cliffhangers. Went down to you know maybe the last half hour of the day. Oh, yeah. um, you Australia, know, chasing.
1: It was a it was a record chase, wasn't it?
2: Mm. For that ground at least. Yeah, it was a it was Cummins a and and again Mitchell Johnson with the bat. Mitchell Johnson well,
0: that was, was actually Cummins debut, wasn't it? That his famous debut. Yeah, yeah. man, of the, man yeah. of the match. Man of the match. the
1: winning runs. Kalaja yeah. batted really well in that innings with Ricky Ponting earlier when it was really difficult to bat. Mm. Hads batted well. Mitch and the, the Mitch Johnson scenario was playing out in the background of that test because he was shot. Yeah, you know he foot was, was gone. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, he's shot mentally. Oh, right. He yeah. He's yeah, shot yeah. mentally. And then he went out there and he, I think he went out there. They still needed quite a bit to get. Yeah. And uh, he, he took a, a heave at one, missed it completely. Um, Michael Clark sent out a message to him if you're not going to bat seriously, mate, just get out. We don't want you out there. Mm. John o was. Furious and knuckled down and made quite a few runs, didn't he? Mm. And then, he made a
0: century in that series, or was that the one? No, before? no, that uh, was one before. I
1: think he made 40-odd forty odd not out in that. this, and then yeah. he broke his and he basically broke his foot batting, um, which was fortuitous mm. in some ways because he got that break from cricket that he desperately needed. Uh, oh, it was so much fun. Nathan no, got... Lyon was crapping himself. Oh yeah, Can
0: I wait for this series. All these <laughs> memories. I've got some other memories. Yeah. Well, I, Alan Border famously played his last Test innings in South Africa, forty odd not out to. The side to a draw.
1: Ben's not old enough to remember that.
0: Shane Warne had a very famous send-off of Andrew Hudson. Uh, ben won't remember that one, but Warne absolutely gave it to him. And I think he copped a fine for that one. Murph Hughes tried to kill a South African fan with his bat while coming off the Wanderers' ground in one match. I think there'll be a bit of sledging from the South African crowd towards the oh, Aussie team. But they are team. feral. But I don't, <laughs> feral South African I don't crowd, know if any of our players God. will come back at them with a bat. I remember Mark Wall making a brilliant 100 over there when Australia chased down about 280 on a wearing wicket when Australia couldn't chase small totals and he just played one of his best test centuries over there. You know, we haven't lost a series there since readmission. There has been 14 series there. We've only ever lost two. I guess moving to this series, do we start as favourites? It's a hard one to read. I, I've, I've
2: been thinking about it. I think maybe maybe Australia does start slight favourites, but... It's really hard. I know this sounds very, very simplistic analysis, which is what I specialise in, but it will come down to um, to the batting one. And I mean, there's no doubt that both bowling attacks are world class. Um, there's no question about Australia's quicks or South Africa's quicks. It's going to come down to who can actually survive these conditions because we're not going to see the flat wickets that we get in Australia. These wickets will do something, or, at least in Johannesburg and Cape Town, from the evidence of the Indian series, they're going to do a lot. So the batting is going to, is going to decide it, and um, Davilias De De Villiers, uh, will be interesting. And, and um, Steve Smith, I mean, the worry with the South African side is below, De, and I suppose to a certain extent the Australian team,
1: but below Davilias and Amla, uh, I don't know whether there's much else there. Are we potentially seeing perhaps the two greatest bowling attacks in a series since what? I don't know. The West Indies went up against uh, um, some of those Australian attacks. Mm. Um, it, it is really exciting to go there and watch those people bowl. They are. That's a very good bowling attack that South Africa's got. Not sure about the fitness of Stain, mm. whether he'll get through there. Um, not sure that it matters because they seem to just pluck these guys out of the sky, don't well, they?
0: Nagidi is the yeah. one who made his debut against mm. India.
1: Good man. Uh, Stain
0: yeah. didn't play last series against Australia down under, and South Africa still won. AB de Villiers. Well, he, he
2: broke down in the a test, test, and yeah. they still won. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: and they've brought in this Nagidi, but uh, pre, you know, prior to that, they've brought in Rabada, yeah. who's still young and is the best bowler in the world. They, they just seem to pluck him off trees. And, and
2: Morkel's yeah. probably been harshly treated the last couple of years, because he seems to be the one that often misses out. But if you ask um, batsmen, you know, mm. bowlers that they least like facing, Morkel seems to
1: consistently feature. Well, how exciting was that last series that South Africa played? And M- Morkel, I reckon, bowled the best he's bowled in his life. They're not quick, are they, fast bowlers? I know that sounds a bit self-contradictory, but uh, he's finally got the right lengths. Mm. He was a, a two-length bowler always, Morkel, wasn't he? Oh, you know. I pitch it at your head or I pitch it at your toes. I really think that he had his length right in that Mm. series against India. And uh, I remember turning on that first Test match against India and just getting so excited by the Mm. quality of the cricket that was being played.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see, uh, firstly, um, I suppose, whether Steve Smith can produce for a third big series in a row. I mean, he's done it in India. He's done it in the Ashes. Can he go again and deliver against South Africa in another marquee series? And the other one is, you know, the, the other players around. I mean, players like Sean Marsh and Mitch Marsh who stood up in the ashes, mm. Kawaja, Bancroft, you know, they, they did their job in Australia. Can they do it overseas when the wicket's actually doing a lot? I mean, that's going to be really interesting.
0: I don't have a lot of faith in that, but I think you'd be crazy in a, as Australian supporter, the, seeing the way we've played on wickets with a bit of movement, to have too much faith. Because, you know, Sean Marsh and Mitch Marsh, generally hard wicket players. But given the right conditions in South Africa, the ball comes onto the bat. So they they could get away. Bancroft up the top of the order. You know, we saw the ball moving around a little bit, seemed to sort him out in those last couple of tests in the ashes. So that's going to be a tough one. But one th- you didn't mention David Warner. Now, David Warner, I think, scored two centuries in the one game in maybe Cape Town last tour. I mean, this is a tailor-made series for him. He loves it when the bowlers come at him. So the, the, the South African attack is going to go at him. He will counter-attack if it comes off. He can be the one who can really b- be a big difference maker.
1: Yeah, he had a blinder last time. Um, just got to worry about how tired he is, don't you? That, that he can actually get some downtime between this uh, T20 series and the start of the Test series. We're not going to play. Not going to play the uh, tour match. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Mm. Uh, I think that happened actually in an India series with Hussey once, and Hus seemed to blame his performance in the first test on not actually. Well, I think that
0: was actually I'm going to talk to uh, Doug Bollinger later, but there was a series Hussey and Bollinger yeah. were both involved where they were asked to play. In the Champions League final, yeah. the T20 of. Told to. Told to. Told to by Cricket yeah. Australia because was it not owning happening. Owning interest, yeah. and they flew in a day before that test match you were talking about. I think this one, though, David Warner wants to do it, which makes a big difference.
2: And also, I mean, if there's any player in uh, the Australian setup who can transfer from one format to another, it's Warner. Like, I mean, a lot of other players I don't think would be able to do it, but. I think I don't think it'll make a huge difference to how he
1: prepares for for the test. Are there concerns about his form through the year? He didn't have the greatest summer, did he? Uh, in the Ashes, no. I mean, uh, or well, the, the ODI series was worse. Yeah,
2: yeah. I guess I guess there's um there's some pressure on him to perform, but I mean, he had a very good series in Bangladesh. Like, I don't think the dip has been long enough to be a major concern, and you know, they're conditions that in the past have he's
1: thrived in. So you know. Yeah. I think he still averaged 40-odd, didn't he, in the uh, test series? So uh, I
0: think Mm. he was the second-highest scorer,
1: was he, for Australia? Third-highest? Anyway, he was up there. Uh, A
0: big uh, storyline is Nathan Lyon is on 290 test wickets. So 10 more wickets and he will become the sixth Australian to take 300 test wickets. The other five are Warren McGrath, Lily, Brett Lee and Mitch Johnson. That would be an extraordinary achievement when Lyon gets this 300th wicket.
2: Yeah, I mean, he... you cannot argue against Steve Smith winning now on board a medal. I mean, what, a, what an amazing year he had. You know, as we mentioned, standing up against India and in the Ashes, the two biggest series, plus he plays one-day cricket, which Nathan Lyon doesn't, so he, that was almost the end of Lyon's chances. But, I mean, I think it's easy to downplay what Nathan Lyon achieved last year in, in uh, test cricket. I mean, the leading wicket-taker in the whole world, when he started the year barely hanging on in the Australian side and with massive doubts about how he'd go in India. I mean, he had a colossal year. And, I mean, if a bowler ever deserved to win the Allen Border medal and they don't often do it, <laughs> it's stacked against them, uh, Nathan Lyon would have deserved it. Um,
1: he had an amazing year. So He's hitting 300 wickets, isn't he, just when he's getting the hang of Test cricket, you'd almost say. I mm. mean, that's a bit unfair on the early part of his career. But he's peaking. Mm. Now, he is in the best form of his life. Never seen him bowl Confidence came out of nowhere, didn't it? Nathan Lyon was never a confident man, was he? Um, And easily sort of uh, dropped his head. Oh, not easily, but he he was prone to dropping his head or getting down. Mm. And certainly was very, very down, wasn't he, on the back of that Sri Lankan series.
2: Yeah, Um, yeah. And then the start of the summer when things weren't going well. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I guess the turning point was in India when he produced over there. You know that 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 was I think it was Bangalore sorry Bangalore where he took I don't know eight wickets or something in an in innings but yeah from, since then he hasn't looked back. No,
0: he's become a real leader within the team now. I think that's what's emerged in the last year as well. I mean, beginning of the Ashes for him to say that he was going to end careers sort of signified a shift.
1: In his attitude. <laughs> one of the English journalists asked, did you lose a bet, mate? <laughs> no one really ever expected that that sort of stuff to come out of Nathan's lion's mouth. No. They thought he must have been put up to it for some reason. Yeah, or it doesn't it, seem
2: mate. to suit his personality, but I actually, yeah. you know, it sounds trivial, but I actually was curious to see how he would stand up in that first test after coming out and
1: being the, too, uh, yeah. a, and he did. That so. spell
0: on the fourth afternoon at the Gabba mm. changed the match and possibly changed the series.
1: Well, I was the same as you. I actually asked some other players, I said, really? Is he going to back this up? I mean, this could really turn on him. I said, no, he'll be right. He'll be, there you go, Nathan.
0: Mm. All right. Uh, last question, I guess. Um, will you guys keep an eye on the mince faff is chewing uh, over there in this test series. <laughs> <laughs> Revisiting one about of my favourite stories. That? <laughs> that kept us alive last summer, that yarn. What was
1: that? That kept us alive last summer, that yarn. Yeah, well. It was quite entertaining. Keep an eye out on that I've one. Never seen anything more mismanaged more by yeah. cricket management, anyway.
2: Yeah, i have almost forgotten about that, but that was we'll a just keep an eye stunning
0: eye story. We'll yeah, just okay. go up to him in the first press conference and get the the forex mints out of your pocket and just say, Faf, here you go. <laughs>
2: to Faf's credit, I mean, they all took themselves a bit seriously through that whole mm. episode. But um, I, d- I like uh, Faf c as a cricket personality. Like, I just think he's he's brilliant, gives great interviews. He's, um, I suppose he's a bit arrogant. He's He's got that kind of swagger about him. He's got an yeah. aura and, about him. Yeah, he, doesn't, I, I really, he doesn't
1: own many shirts, so does he? Uh, yeah, not yeah. ones that fit. Is that what, what you mean? Oh, I've hardly ever rig. seen him wearing yeah. a shirt. Yeah, he <laughs> loves to get the shirt off. But
2: he's. Um, but I think he's a good personality for cricket and. Um yeah, I just think he's he's he gets it and he's
1: he plays the uh, the villain well. And with we AB's back with him too, AB De Villas, mm. which is exciting. You know, he, how long since he, he's been off the scene for a long time with mm. that elbow. And I actually thought he'd given up on test cricket. But he turned
0: thirty four uh, yesterday. Or this great week, to so? watch
1: that. It's Great to watch AB De Villiers bat. That's I, one of the things you pay to see.
0: I think for technicians out there, just watch the way Hashim Amla bats. There is not really a better timer or a more elegant play to watch, probably in both sides, than Amla. So we're going to have a ding-dong series. Both teams full of stars, both teams with fiery, farts bowlers. Yeah, You guys must be dripping with excitement.
2: Yeah, I mean, I suppose <laughs> on, on paper it should be a classic series, but mm. there is the potential that one team could get on top, as, as it always is when you go into a series. But we've seen South Africa were very good, I suppose, in the test, but they've been absolutely destroyed by India in the one days, um, so that'll be interesting to see how they bounce back from that. And Australia are still, you know, really yet to prove themselves, I suppose, um, overseas. So, um, yeah, like, on paper, it stacks up as an epic contest, but there is the potential that, you know, a team could get on the back back foot pretty quickly if they're not uh, on their game.
0: Well, that was our preview of the upcoming South African tour. I'm absolutely filthy. I haven't been flown over there to cover the series. I mean, why couldn't they put me up? I could do a five-minute wrap of the the day's cricket, you know, write a weekly column. Isn't there some economic viability in that, guys? Um, Are you going to talk to the bosses? Yeah. um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> doesn't work like that. <laughs> well, mate, you could get
1: flown in with Renshaw. If Renshaw comes, you can come. Okay? Yeah, I'll come it's with Renshaw. There's not Rancho. much money. I mean, Is you're, you're, a man. you're yeah. flying via... I mean, it's taking you oh, about three weeks to God, get there. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. flying via the Cape. Well, I'm flying to the Cape. Yes. Yeah, yeah I'm on a 15-day cruise <laughs> to get there. It's, uh, anyway, but I'm not <laughs> going to complain. It's one of my favourite trips. Cape Town's one of the great towns on Earth. Mm. And we always have fun in South Africa, and there's always good yarns. So, listeners... Buy both papers. You'll have to...
0: Listeners, yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. You know, to keep up with this tour, Ben Horn, Pete Lawler, The Daily Telegraph, The Australian, if you haven't subscribed, subscribe, because now is the time to... You know, you're going to go to bed, and you're going to wake up, and you want to know what happened in the test match. Well, Pete and Ben will have you covered. So, guys, I think this is going to be the last podcast we're all together for the season. So, thank you for all your hard work.
2: Uh, it seems like yesterday that we're all crammed in the back of your little
1: car. <laughs> I know.
2: Does
0: it doesn't. Did, did, no it's our uh, Hurstville Oval.
2: I was disappointed, actually, we didn't go back to yeah, that it was, scene.
1: Um, I'm old. It was like going to the drive-in or something. I'm old yeah. enough to remember going yeah. to the drive-in. It's like going through a, a tra- car wash, that's for sure. Anyway, yeah, we won't be trapped in cars over there, not with the washing arrangements.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks for all your input over the summer. I'm going to be speaking to both of you, hopefully, on the phone. Um, I'll dial you up and we'll get your insights from over there.
1: Don't call collect this time, mate.
0: Yeah, I won't. It's all right. I'll put it up. There is a time difference, so just... Very wary of the time
1: difference.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, listeners, so thanks so much for downloading Cricket Unfiltered. Next week I'll be back with Lisa Stelaka, who's gonna stop by and tell us about her season. Ben and Pete, thank you and have a great trip and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Thanks, mate.